won't you fill me? Yes, he wants to fill us. It's the empty me part that's rough. It's a lot of work to empty me. That song pretty much sums up the sermon this morning. As we look at Jesus journeying on, on the way to the cross, he's really wanting to get intimate with his followers. And he spent a lot of time with the crowds, just got done casting out a demon, and now he wants to take some time away with his closest friends and get at some really important stuff. So sometimes when I sit and listen to a sermon, one of the things that comes to my mind is, oh, I wish that person was here to hear this. Or most of the time, actually, Scott's sitting next to me, and I'm like, I really hope he's not daydreaming right now because this is for him. <laughs> this morning, I would encourage me and you to let it be for you. To not think about who's sitting next to you, but what is it that Jesus wants to say to you today? We're going to pick up in Mark 9, uh, verse 30, and it's on page 715 in your Bibles in the pews. <clears throat> they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. If you've been here at all the last few weeks, this sounds familiar. It was actually, I think, when Pastor Len was preaching three weeks ago that this same thing that Jesus is saying, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die and I'm going to be betrayed and rise from the dead. But they're not understanding what he's saying. It wasn't fitting into their frame of reference. Because as you probably remember from when Pastor Len preached, Peter had just said that Jesus was the Messiah. That was revealed to him by the Spirit. They had gotten that. Jesus is the King. He's the Messiah. So it's time to reign. If you're King, let's set up your kingdom. And Peter had gently, or maybe not so gently, taken Jesus aside, right? He said, oh, no, 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 Jesus. We're not going to let that happen to you. You're not going to suffer and die. And Peter didn't quite get the response he was looking for. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. And he says, you do not have in mind the things of God, 
but the things of men. Yikes. Here he is, Jesus is talking about it again. I don't even know how to respond. So better to not understand or be confused to get it wrong than to get it wrong. Or better not to get clarification of bad news. Do you ever find yourself not really wanting the details of bad news? It's like, don't confuse me with the facts. Jesus is talking about what would seem like very hard facts. It seems better to be a little unclear. It brings up fear. Thinking about moving toward pain and suffering and even death. So they were afraid to ask for clarification. Let's hold on to that thought from Jesus' response to Peter. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You have in mind the things of men. I'm going to call this whole next section, all the way from 33 to 48, I'm, call it, I'm going to call it the self-referenced life. The things of men. The first little section under the self-referenced life is Jesus getting at pride and status. He really wants to get to the heart of things with his disciples. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So Jesus is asking, what were you guys talking about when we were on the road? Yikes, that's embarrassing. They were talking about who was the greatest. But when Jesus was talking about suffering and dying, they were still in that kingdom mode. He's going to build a kingdom. And so if you're going to build a kingdom, let's figure out what our standing is going to be. And really, in that ancient culture, honest and status and position was of utmost importance. Where do you fit? So a pretty natural conversation to have when we're talking kingdom and don't want to talk about death and dying and suffering. Where are we going to rank? I 
I don't think it's probably just that Near Eastern culture that is all about honor and rank and status. We could probably go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and find this coming up. Remember when God went into the garden and Adam was hiding? Why are you hiding, Adam? Did you eat of the forbidden fruit? He had somebody else to blame. It was that woman you gave me. At least I'm not as bad as her. She took it first. And what does a woman do? It was that serpent. I'm not as bad as that one. And right away got into where do I fit and how do I not be at the bottom at least. How do I rank in relation to you? Am I in the person of power? Do I have no power? Am I at the bottom or at the top? Do you notice me when I walk into a group? Or am I invisible? Respected? Disrespected? It's like a motor running inside all the time. Where do I fit? I'm going to call that the self-reference life. Always noticing me in comparison to you. Sometimes I'm conscious of it. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I want to admit it. Most of the time, I don't. The disciples were conscious about it, but they did not want to admit it. But Jesus knew. And this is what he wanted to get at. That motor running inside all the time. And he brings a pretty radical teaching for that culture that the last will be first. Actually pretty radical for our culture too. It sounds really nice, kind of, but do I actually really like it? As long as I'm not at the bottom or the last. And he illustrates it by bringing a little child And now in our culture, or at least the way I tend to look at it, okay, so a little child, he's bringing that in because they're they're pure, they're trusting, they're open, and that's what Jesus wants us to be. But actually, in their culture, children were at the bottom of the social ladder with no social status. And they were really an illustration of the most insignificant. If you welcome one of these most insignificant, you're actually welcome the one who sent me. You want a kingdom? That's status in my kingdom. 
So then, John conveniently changes the subject. So let's read in 38 to 41. Who's in and who's out? Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No, no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Oh my goodness, this person over here is casting out demons and they're not one of us. I don't know if you remember, if you were here last week, Pastor Lou was talking and the disciples had actually tried to cast out a demon and weren't able to. How frustrating. Here's this other person who's not even one of us and they can do it? We told him to stop. Do you ever find yourself wanting to be in the group that at least have, has it right? And if you have it right, there's somebody who has it wrong, or at least less right. It just feels good to be the ones who got it. Yeah. We're the ones. When we first started the ministry many, many years ago, we were really focused on getting volunteers into the juvenile facilities who were able to be relational with kids. To sit down and have a Bible discussion group is what we called it. We weren't looking for preachers. We were looking for people who could just go love the kids, share God's love with them. Well, Brian, some of you have heard him when he sh we share shared before, he was one of the boys who ended up moving into our discipleship home and is actually now on our board. But when he was 15, we met him in a detention center in Westboro. He came to our Bible study, we shared Christ's love with him, we shared the gospel with him, and he responded. But shortly after, he was transferred out to a long-term lockup for kids in Springfield. Oh, no, because at that place, there was a church going into that place who were not one of us. They didn't want to be trained by us. In fact, we had told the Department of Youth Services, they are not with us because they were preachy and they were legalistic. And oh no, now Brian was going to be there. If Brian was here in front of you today, he would tell you that that year and a half under the ministry of that church, he grew leaps and bounds in his faith. And what does Jesus say? If they're doing it in my name, they're with us. 
how often we subtly or not so subtly talk down or discredit others who aren't doing it right the way we do. And if we're completely honest, there's something in us that kind of likes to be outraged. You know? Like, I am so not like them. What? Like, if you go on Facebook, oh my goodness. Doesn't it just like, feel good to just, oh, I cannot even believe it. Wow, some people. And it, it kind of elevates me a little bit that I'm at least not that some people. That is in me. And what Jesus is saying, you do not have in mind the things of God. You do not have in mind the things of the kingdom, but the things of men. I'm living a self-referenced life. I'm competing for my place. It's the opposite of laying down my life. So what are the consequences of that? Verse 42, and if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, or as many translations and many commentaries say, causes them to stumble, is, would it be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck? Wow, those are harsh words. A millstone, if any of you have gone over to Wayside or over there, there's like, they're big, huge millstones to grind grain. And in that day, they actually used that as punishment, a severe punishment to tie a millstone around somebody's neck and drown them because then their bodies couldn't be, um, whatever it's called, taken out <laughs> to be buried. So it was a very, very serious punishment. So I look at that. He's actually still having these conversations with his disciples. He's still having this conversation with you and I. Well, I wouldn't do something like that that would deserve to be thrown in the sea with a millstone around my neck. What? I don't abuse children. I don't do that. So how does this apply to me? How does this apply to the disciples? Who Jesus had in mind, yes, the ones who do awful things, and the ones who are trying to assert their own importance at the expense of others. Those who need more to be more important and in the process sacrifice someone else. Jesus' concern was that others would be kept from his love and grace by his followers treated them. Is it possible? Could I, with my need for importance, actually keep somebody from experiencing God's love and grace? 
A few years back, there was a girl that we had been working with, both inside lockup and outside, and several of our staff had worked with her. She had so much trauma, so much pain, and most of the time it showed up as anger. But she would come around and we would all talk to her, we would be with her, but she did not respond to God's love. But one day she came into the cafe that we were running at the time and she said, Hannah, I need to talk. It's like, absolutely, let's sit down and talk. And that day she poured out her heart, her pain, her frustration, her anger, but in it she said, I'm just struggling because I think, keep thinking about forgiveness. I know I need it, but I struggle with it. I know I need God, but I struggle with it. And at the time, it was like one of those like holy moments that only God could have brought about, and she was just sitting there raw. And in that moment, all of a sudden, this little switch turned on in my head. This could be the day that she gives her life to Christ. I could be the one who's going to get to pray with her. I get to close the deal. And I looked around to the bookshelf behind me. I got to grab a Bible. There wasn't a Bible. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, I got to get her upstairs where we have a Bible because there's some Bible verses I need to read to her right now. And I got her upstairs and we sat down on the couch and I found the right verses. And the door closed. Why? Because she didn't want God? Because it was all about me. If I take center stage, there's no room for God. It would be better to have a millstone around my neck than to keep somebody from experiencing the love and grace of Jesus. It's serious. It's the water I swim in. So cut it off. The next section is about cutting it off, 43 to 48. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter the life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Wow. So the word for hell here was Gehenna, and this valley, Gehenna, lies on the southern side of Jerusalem and was used as the city dump. 
And back in the Old Testament times, it was used for human sacrifices to the pagan gods. And they would burn humans, they would burn animals, rubbish. It became the dump where everything got burned, and the fire never went out. So in the intertestament time, it became a symbol of divine punishment. So pretty heavy-duty stuff. Watch out if your desire for honor or being better than actually keeps you from the kingdom. Not only may you cause others to not enter the kingdom, but what about you? Whoever wants to save his life, Jesus said back in chapter 8, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for me and the gospel will save it. How do I lose my life to save it? I cut off my self-reference, my pride, my need for center stage, my internal fight for significance. When our daughter Sarah had graduated from high school, we had one summer left to be together and I was going to maximize it. Sarah and David both chose to go to a mission trip for two weeks and it was kind of, a, it was like end of July-ish, so there wasn't gonna be a lot of time before she was gonna leave for college. So, okay, go on a mission trip, it's a good thing for sure, right? But then when they came back, I was really excited. So we went into the airport to pick him up in the morning. They had had an all-night flight. And I was standing there at the bottom of the escalator, couldn't wait for them to come. And Sarah and David come, and they look really tired. And, you know, I'm hugging them, and, you know, I felt like they were kind of limp, and, you know, I was kind of disappointing. I was really excited. Then we go to the baggage carousel, and standing there, you know, and they're like that. Then this other mom comes in, and, you know, and she sees the kids, and, and Sarah's like, Hi, Omar, it's so good to see you. And she's like, what? <laughs> like, who is she? <laughs> we get in the car, you know, they didn't really want to talk. Fine, they've been up all night. So they went to sleep, slept all day, all night, didn't get any time together. Next day was Sunday, and Bethany, the youth minister who had been with them for two weeks, had decided they were going to have a gathering after church, and be there till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. So I went home super excited for 4 o'clock. Sarah calls. And she said, Mom, when you come, just pick up David because Bethany and I are going to go get our nails done. What? I used to really like Bethany, but at that moment, it's like, what is she thinking? And you know what? Yes, I was disappointed, but by this time, I was angry. I want to be the most important person in Sarah's life. I want to be the one that she wants to spend time with, not Bethany. Bethany. 
it took up a lot of space inside of me. It was just like turning. I got up the next morning, and I sat with God, and I realized that I sometimes get confused between attachments and love. And I really did realize that it was all about me. And I was reading at the time, I was reading this book, The Deeper Journey. And of course, the page I happened to be on was perfect. And it says in there, let the Holy Spirit probe the activities, the relationships, the habits of head and heart that shape your life. Do you find manipulative, controlling dynamics and relating to others? No. <laughs> and other situations in your life? Are these reflective of the attachments of a self-referenced life? Are these proof of the deep rooting of the self-reference life in something other than God? It is exhausting to draw my life from something other to God than God. It is exhausting to need my kids to respond to me in a certain way. It is exhausting for me to be okay to have Scott respond to me in a certain way. It is exhausting for me to have to have my job work out nice or have people think I'm doing a good job. It is exhausting if I need that to be okay inside. And it says, help me to have you, have you, God, be the sole content of my life. If I want to be in God's kingdom, I can't be king. There's already a king there. If you want to be in the kingdom, you can't be king. My self-reference life wants to be king. How important it is to take that time to sit with God and allow him to expose what's really in my heart. What is your stirring, Hannah? all your disappointments and frustrations, what's really going on with you? There's no shortcut to that because I don't come to it without sitting with God. And when I sit with God, like in the end of Psalm 139, it says, search me and know me. Search me and know me, God, to see if there's any wicked way in me. Jesus is not having these conversations with his disciples or you and me to scold us and say, oh my goodness, you're so bad. It's not about that. He's after this deeper thing in us that can set us free.
And as Pastor Tom said a couple of weeks ago, a painful journey, but a great end. The cutting off is painful. Seeing what's really in me is painful. It's got to die so I can live in newness of life. He doesn't want me, his disciples, or you and I, to miss the freedom of kingdom living. This is what his suffering and dying and resurrection was about. It's good news. Freedom from self. So let's look at the last two verses. Kingdom living. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Salted with fire is from the Hebrew scriptures, pouring salt on the sacrificial flame to purify. Let what the fire in my life produces, let it count. As things get burned away and cut off, let the purifying agent do its work in me. We've all gone through seasons of fire. Maybe you're going through a season of fire right now. One of my dearest friends has gone through a very long season of fire, way more than 10 years. But this year at New Year's, as we were sharing about this last decade and the things that had happened in our lives, those 10 years have been excruciating fire for her. But as I sat and looked at her and she shared, she said, I can't explain it. But what's coming from my heart right now is gratitude. What? Gratitude. This is coming from a much deeper place than from her life circumstances, which you could easily say deserves some self-pity. But instead, it came from this deep place of God's life in her, a place of fullness, a God-referenced life. Verse 50, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Am I allowing for the salt to be an agent of gratitude and peace in my life? You see, if, if I'm living a God-referenced life, there's no more anxiety about my standing, no more anxiety about my role or significance. It's all covered. I'm settled. I'm settled and at peace inside because I am His. I am His so I can be completely at peace with you. Let the salt do its work in you to purify and be at peace. Amen.